very thankful that uh, we have this opportunity to be together uh, with all of you this afternoon. We can be in the presence of the living God that we have worshipped. We can open his living word and have it speak to us. And before we take the privilege to do that, we want to give an opportunity if there are any greetings or any um, announcements for the church, now will be the time. Thank you. The Sister Margaret Nagy is in Mansfield. Uh, we're thankful Brother Angelo and Sister Bianca could take her there, and uh, Sister Margaret sends greetings. Thank you for those greetings from Brother Tibor Molnar from Serbia. Thank you for those greetings from Richmond Hill. We appreciate you all being here. Uh, no further greetings. A few announcements we have. Um, uh, this month's in, uh, collections will be for the Zambia Harmony School. We're thankful that uh, Sister Yesna could be here this past weekend. And uh, so we'd like to support uh, that school uh, through the collections for this month. This uh, coming Wednesday, we're going to continue to study the life of Christ uh, at the CFG. And this afternoon, uh, we're looking forward to working together with some of the Richmond Hill youth. Um, after church, we're going to be packing some kits. Uh, and to fund that, um, uh, we'll be using the funds from the, there's a separate Cheerful Giver account for Toronto. Now you can give the money to Brother Craig, saying Cheerful Giver, or ACCMBC Cheerful Giver. So the Cheerful Giver uh, funds are segregated by the contributing congregation and we use them to send packages to the needy. And that's what we're gonna be drawing on to, for these particular uh, kits we're packing. <clears throat> I'm very thankful to those who are organizing that and that we can be a blessing to the community. Also this evening at uh, 6.30, there'll be a Messiah practice in Strasbourg. And uh, an email was sent out that uh, due to the hurricane damage in um, Florida, um, some of our members' homes and even our church, I believe, was damaged in Northport. And so we like to put together a work team uh, that would like to go down and help uh, do some repair. Uh, we especially appreciate anyone who has any, uh, any experience with, uh, with the drywall because that'll be a lot of the damage to be repaired. So that's being organized in December or January. They're still nailing down the date. But if you're interested, please see uh, Brother Josiah, who's going to be um, organizing that. And we're also looking forward to the Sunday School program. Uh, now we have a date for that. It's the December 10th and 11th uh, weekend. We're going to be having the children present uh, their Christmas program. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we are in awe of who you are. Lord, we just pray that the sun, the, the brightness of who you are would dispel the fog and confusion in our minds and that we could see clearly this afternoon the truth of your living word, that your spirit could illuminate and encourage and transform each one of us. 
Lord, it's only by your spirit that we can even understand these words that he, he has inspired. And so we pray that he would be working in each one of our hearts, that we would be attentive. Lord, you know the weakness of your servant. We pray that you'd be able to work in spite of that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, this past weekend, I was um, in, uh, in Beverly Hills where we had uh, a gospel hymn sing, and, the, and the, um, the theme of the weekend was a great day coming. There's a great day coming. We just sang the song together this afternoon. And as I was uh, meditating on that theme, um, I, I decided to teach a little bit on prophecy with the, the young people there. I was, I was given responsibility to have the Bible class with the younger group. Now, it may well have been that, you know, given there was a lot of other young people their age and it was a large room and they didn't know each other, and perhaps that's why there wasn't a lot of responses, but I got the impression that prophecy is not something that people are aware of or pay attention to um, this day. And, and I was kind of took it as, as, as perhaps, you know, perhaps we have not been diligent enough to teach on these topics. It's difficult. Uh, prophecy is, is not perhaps clear. Um, there are obscure references to historical places and times. It's difficult to interpret that. It's not clear, you know, is this past or future? Is this fulfilled once or maybe is it fulfilled in the past and will be in the future? It's, it's complex in that, you know, we, it's not really clear exactly what's going to happen until it, it has happened. But once it has happened, it's very clear that God has come into time and space and he's done exactly what he said he would do. And against all odds and against all, in, in Isaiah, in fact, there's this, this, this one section where God almost has a sarcastic sense of humor and he, but he portrays the difference between himself and all the other idols that people were turning to that he alone knew the future. He alone could predict it specifically. And he picked out Cyrus is going to set my people free. He named the man hundreds of years before he was born that he would be the one that would actually release the Jews from their uh, captivity. Incredible detail. So... What the Lord led me to this afternoon is a passage I don't think I have ever heard preached on before. It's found in Zechariah, um, which is near the end of the Old Testament. You'll find Zechariah kind of uh, between, after Zephaniah and Haggai, because it's and uh, before the end of the, the Malachi. So it's the second last book in the Old Testament. And I'd like to read, maybe read and meditate, because it is difficult to understand. And I'm not saying that I do understand it. But I think it's good for us to have in mind what exactly God has said is coming so that we can recognize it when it does happen. I'm not going to tell you this is what's going to happen. I'm going to say it's what God says is going to happen. Be aware. Especially because... I think all of you are aware that things have been happening in this past couple of years that 
are very unusual. Worldwide changes that if you compare it to what we know of the scripture about there being coming a global government that is going to control people through economics, you know, the, the changes that we have seen, you know, are, are incredible how fast stuff we no, thought would never happen has happened in the past two years about the surveillance, the financial controls with anyone who disagrees with the mainstream narrative, etc. So let's look together. Let's start reading from chapter 12. I'm going to read a little bit and then, you know, meditate, and we'll kind of try to get through this, um, try to understand what, what, what God has written here. So in chapter 12, it begins this way. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. God's giving his credentials. He's the one who has created this entire world and has given you even your ability to think and understand. He's formed your spirit. Behold, verse 2, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden them themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. So what do we understand that is being predicted here? There are multiple places in scripture where it says that the entire world will be united against Jerusalem. Now, I want to point out one error first that I think we need to put away. That is called replacement theology. There's some people who, who when they get to the New Testament, they say, oh, you know, now that God is working with the church, those who have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, who have part of his body, that's the people of God. We no longer need to consider the Jewish people. They're not, we are the chosen ones. They are no longer chosen. They've kind of forfeited their right to being the chosen people by rejecting Jesus. That is, that is kind of common thing so that people then look at the Bible and say, wherever it talks about Jews, it really means the church. And we can appropriate those promises. We can just kind of replace Israel with the church. That is not what scripture teaches. Uh, it's very clear, and, and I think the clearest place is like Romans uh, chapter 9 to 11. Paul is specifically dealing with this question, what about the Jews? And he clearly says that the Jews were actually blinded by God and they're kind of, they were proud. They tried to, thought they could be good enough on their own. And God gives the picture of an olive tree. He broke them off the natural tree and grafted us in. 
There you can get the idea of replacement theology. That, that those who believe are now in that olive tree of life, but the Jews were broken off because they didn't believe. But then he says, but, don't, but we shouldn't be arrogant and proud because God is able to graft them back in. And one day when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, they will be restored en masse. That's what it says in Revelations 11. So, so in other words, there's a window. Right now, you and I as Gentiles have the opportunity to, unique opportunity, because we didn't have this before Jesus, and there may come a day when that, the time of the Gentiles, well, the number is complete, it says there. So we have this window. Don't be arrogant. And don't think, you know, the Jews who right now don't believe, you know, we can dismiss them because they will be restored. Okay, so that's what the scripture teaches. And in Zechariah, we get details. Zechariah is a pretty hard book to understand. It begins with some pretty unusual visions that, that God is communicating truth to Zechariah, but it ends with some pretty specific things about exactly what's going to happen when that great day of the Lord appears. Okay, and that's where we're reading here. And the one thing it's saying is Jerusalem is gonna be a problem for the world. It's gonna be this, this stone that is gonna be so heavy, it's gonna be unable to carry it. You know, it's interesting that the, the British Empire had that responsibility for Palestine and you know that they crumbled soon afterwards it was a stone that was burdensome for them you know the the arab nations as soon as israel was made a nation in 1948 the very day they all declared war i don't know what six seven ten nations all and, and israel was a sliver of land a few miles across in places very difficult to defend and yet incredibly against all human reasoning they not only survived that day, but they actually increased in land. And we know in 1967 that happened again. And we'll, we can read, let's read what promises were made here that actually happened, right? Uh, reading from verse 5. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, like a torch of fire in a sheath. You know, if you have, if you have dry grass and you stick a torch in there, you know what's going to happen. It's going to explode into fire, right? And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited against again in her place, even in Jerusalem. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among that day shall be less David. David was a great war hero, and even the weakest shall be as strong as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Okay, so we've kind of seen some of that happen in the 67 day when again, if you look at the numbers, there's incredible, you know, number of airplanes and armies all lined up by under Nasser of Egypt to wipe out Jerusalem. 
And, you know, impossible. The U.S., who was Jerusalem's ally at the time, said, we're not going to get involved because they didn't see any possibility to save Israel. And then in six days, it's called the Six-Day War, they not only defended themselves, they actually gained Golem Heights, they gained Jerusalem, they gained the Sinai Peninsula. It was incredible. Feel free to read the facts because it is clearly the hand of God. But now we're going, that, that, that has happened, but when God brings all nations against Israel, and that's predicted, there is a coming time where all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem. And in that day, well, that's, that's the next verse here. So Joel chapter 3 begins with that. Ezekiel 38, 39 talks about that. Uh, the 14th chapter of Zechariah, which I don't know if we'll get time to, gets into detail about that. But on that great day, this is what's going to happen to the people of Jerusalem. <laughs> okay? Um, verse 10, if you're reading with me. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. And that day shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo. What's the saying? Now, now notice the specificity of this, this, this verse. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Now this is written hundreds of years before Jesus. Who is me? Well, let's see, the burden of the word of the Lord. This is God speaking. They shall look upon me, God, whom they have pierced. You know what it's talking about, right? On the cross, when Jesus was crucified, normally they broke the legs, you know, to make sure that they could no longer support themselves because they were suffocating on that, that cruel instrument of torture. But Jesus was already dead because he had been, his whole back had been stripped off by flogging ahead of time. And so they took a spear and they pierced his heart and outflowed water and blood, um, which is, you know, key symbols of, of our salvation. The blood that was shed on the cross is what we're washed from our sins. And we're going to get to that in first first verse of chapter 13, next thing. But on that day... The Jewish people, when all of the earth is gathered around them and God himself intervenes to save them, they will look upon Jesus whom they have pierced and they will mourn, they will repent, they will recognize the one that they have hated, that they have, have done everything against the name of Jesus. If any Jew ever, you know, you know, becomes a Christian, it's like the worst thing. They become cut off. You have betrayed what it is to become a Jew. You know, they, they have considered, you know, Jesus to be, you know, such a, a scorn 
And now they are recognizing it is only through Jesus they're going to be saved physically, as we're going to read about, and spiritually, because it's through his blood, as he was pierced, as that blood was shed on their behalf, that they can be cleansed from their sin. And they are going to repent as a nation. And it itemizes, and the land shall mourn, every family, the family of David, and so on and so on, every family that remains will repent for what they have done to Jesus as they recognize who their true Savior is, the one they have rejected. 13.1, chapter 13, verse 1, in that day, that great day of the Lord, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. What do you think that is? A fountain. We sing it in the gospel hymns. There's a fountain free. Tis for you and me. Right? It's talking about that blood that was shed by Jesus that can wash away our sins. But here, it's not for everyone. It's saying it's also for the house of David. Again, written hundreds of years before Jesus came. The specificity this fountain will be for the cleansing of the Jewish people. <clears throat> right? He will cut off the idols. People will no longer be false prophets. We see a lot of fake nudes and false prophecy going around today. It is, almost seems to be a strategy. It is a strategy of Satan to obscure the truth. Like, I wonder why young people are not interested in the Word of God, in the clear prophecy that is telling them why things are happening that are happening. But I, I have to speculate. It's because people are sick and tired of every conspiracy and every unfounded speculation that goes around through their, their feeds, and they're, like, already tired. And with this, all this haystack of fake news and false prophecy, it's hard to find the needle of God's truth. So I, I encourage you, you know, this may not scroll past with fancy pictures, but this is true, okay? This is true. This has stood the test of time. These are God's words. I encourage you, read here what's going to happen and why so that you can be prepared. So the next of the chapter, it's talking how they will not tolerate fake news or false prophets anymore. Verse 7 of chapter 13, if you're still following with me. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. I will turn mine hand on the little ones. Do you know where Jesus quoted this verse? Right? It, it, to me, it's incredible as you read the Bible and then you start to see, aha, that's where that's from, right? Jesus quoted this verse referring to himself, that he was going to be the shepherd, the one who, whose heart was burdened as he saw the people scattered without leadership, without truth, being misled by leaders that were in for their own profit. He was going to be smitten. The sheep were going to be scattered. But God says, there's going to be a... a now, this is kind of brutal. In fact, the rest of this is very brutal, right? God is not 
whitewashing, what's going to happen? There's going to be a time of purification. It shall come in that day to pass that in all the land two parts shall be cut off and die, and the third will be left therein. Two-thirds will be killed. Only one-third will survive. And I will bring the third part, the ones that survive, are going to be brought through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say, it is my people and they shall say, the Lord is my God. That's God's goal. Unfortunately, and we kind of heard this morning about that, that straight and narrow gate that, that is necessary for me to leave behind all that I think I am and all the burdens that I like to carry with me and so I can only come through in humility on my knees through that state and narrow gate. Here it's talking about how we need to go through this period of refinement to get rid of all the dross and all the bad things we would carry with us so that we can get to the point where it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's about the Lord is my God and God saying he's my people. It's about that relationship is his goal. And that is what God's goal is for you and for me. He wants you to say, my God, and for him to say, my son, my daughter, my people. What is it going to take for you and I to, what do we have to go through for us to let go of all those impurities so that we can get to that point of trusting in God, the one who is pierced as opposed to my own power and technology. Israel is not there yet. They were proud. They thought they could, they were good and were trusting their own righteousness. We read in Romans. And, and, and this thing about the third, again, read through by the prophecy, you will see it's not isolated. Zechariah is not the only one who mentions these statistics. You know, it's, it's mentioned in other places about the two-thirds and the one-third. It's mentioned in other places about the sun turning dark and the moon to blood. And, 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 and it's mentioned in Joel. It's mentioned in Revelation 6. It's not in one place. This, this is a tapestry. Multiple people were inspired by God over a span of thousands of years. They all have these fragments. And when you bring them together you will see a vision of what's coming. Now, here's some details, some specifics about what's going to happen. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, that thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. The houses rifled, the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not not be cut off from the city. So there's going to be a battle. God is going to gather all nations against Jerusalem, but we thought this is a bad thing. Right? But this is the duality that you see that God is testing. And again, Joel chapter 3, read it, lots of detail, whereas he's going to gather, but we're this into the valley, he says, the valley of decision, the valley of Jehoshaphat, which, by the way, is the valley between um, the Mount of Jerusalem and the, um, the uh, Mount of Olives, 
which is going to be very significant in two verses, the Mount of Olives. And, you know, Joel talks about, you know, this is where we are going to be, the Valley of Decision. And I want to just warn here, because I am shocked that I hear, you know, from some, that, that this, this sentiment coming into the church where, you know, we can turn against God's chosen people, the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people are not innocent. The Jewish people have been blinded spiritually and they have done a lot of things and they may have benefited, you know, from God's blessings. They may collaborate. They may have control of the media and you know there's lots of things that we can point out that they have done wrong but for us to say therefore you know we will band together against them i want to warn you in this chapter and other places when you touch the apple of god's eye god still cares about his people and if you ally against them if you're part of this mob of the whatever bdm etc um the this is god you'll face god's judgment so please be warned do not be taken in by this anti-semitic uh push that is also in our news feeds because this is where it's heading you'll fight against god himself because it looks like this army, a global army that has come against Jerusalem is winning. They've actually taken the walls. They're in there. They're plundering the houses. They're raping the woman. And, and already half here are, are taken away. The rest are hiding or fleeing the city. And then what happens? Pay attention here. Then the Lord shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle and his feet, this is Jesus, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave, shall split in the, in the midst, in the middle of it, toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley, and half the mount shall remove to the north and half towards the south, and there's going to be this east-west split and you the people of God shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel yea ye shall flee as ye fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee okay so Jesus is going to come down he's going to land on the Mount of Olives like this is this is an identifiable geographical place, and he's like confirming it in multiple places, the east of Jerusalem. And, and that mountain's going to split in half, um, and the east-west valley's going to be formed, and that's where the people who are fleeing this army are going to go. And the Lord's going to come, and all the saints with him. Who's that? Read Revelations 19. It all ties together. This is not, the prophecy is not un, you know, opaque. You know, God will show it to you. In Revelations 19, Jesus comes through the skies with the saints in white. 
1 Corinthians 15, the sound of the trumpet comes and the saints are gathered to come with Jesus. All saints are going to be there. This is the first resurrection where we are called, we'll raise from the dead, we'll come with Jesus, and we will come in that triumph to rescue Jerusalem in that final day. And again, this weird thing about the light, it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but shall be one day, which is like stuff's going to go on in the sky. It's in Joel. It's in Revelation 16. People are going to face God. The Jews are going to repent, but the great and proud Gentiles are going to just want, they're going to fall, bend the knee, but they want the rocks to cover them because Jesus is there in the sky coming down, right? And talks about, you know, stars falling like a fig tree when you shake it, you know, are going to be falling. It's going to be a, a very terrible day. It shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half toward the hinder sea, and summer and winter shall be. And then it talks for the rest of the chapter about Revelations chapter 20. Like it all ties together. Revelations chapter 20 talks about the thousand years where Jesus is going to reign from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. <laughs> it's going to be pretty severe. I mean, if you look at what happens here, if you don't come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, you're going to be struck with an incredibly painful plague where, you know, all soft tissue gets consumed on you. You know, it's going to be a time where God is, Jesus is going to rule right here with that rod of iron. And until, you know, Revelations 20 ends with the great white throne judgment, the final rebellion. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that um, I remember, you, you, you remember that, uh, um, Brother uh, Vic Schlatter, you know, very intelligent nuclear physicist, leaves, you know, the prosperous life in the U.S., goes to Stone Age, Papua New Guinea, and uh, wins the hearts of the people there. And one of the things he had to do was translate the Bible from Hebrew and, and, and Greek into Anglo-Haneng, the language of the people there. And uh, in the process, Vic, you know, became really convinced of these things about Jerusalem, about the Jewish people. He started to go every year to the Feast of Tabernacles where he warned, because it's clear that it's saying, you know, those who are against um, against the Lord and his, against Jesus, the Jewish people are going to be, receive God's judgment. And, and this became a big focus in Vic Schlatter's life. I don't want us to be ignorant of what God said is coming and of what part his people have in that so that we're not caught with internet trends or the lies, but that we are, are ready and we are making sure we're on the right side, that we have, and Joel talks about how to prepare for that great day, 
We have rent our hearts and not our garments. We have mourned. We have done our own repenting because we have that opportunity now. The Jewish people do not. They are blinded. We have that opportunity now. But the time will come in looking at the signs of time. It may come soon where our time is over and it will be the time restored to the Jewish people. Please take the sense of urgency as we see things moving rapidly toward the events that are prophesied here. And even the very fact that the Jewish nation exists, the fact that it is a burden to the nations, the fact that we see many of these things already having happened in our lifetime, and that we see the alignment of some of these nations mentioned by name in Ezekiel 38 happening now, I, I just plead with you that this is not an arcane book to be set aside, a book of morals, a book of, you know, wise sayings. The God of the universe has named names, places, and people, and specifics that you can be sure are going to happen. And the big question is not, you know, am I prepared by having a bunker with food? It's, am I prepared by my heart being ready and that I can say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. May God bless his word. Please choose a hymn. That was hymn number two hundred and ninety eight, all four verses.
please lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, even this afternoon hour, we fall on our knees asking uh, and praying for thy mercies and protection throughout our lives. We see ourselves sons and daughters of Adam, and uh, we share this nature, and only through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ do we can assume to be close to thee and understand and get that nature of newborn creature. Dear Heavenly Father, we are witnessing uh, and hearing things that thou preparest for us. Uh, and this is the word of prophecy that we heard this afternoon hour. We ask thee, dear Heavenly Father, that we can accept it in the simplicity of our minds and our faith. May this uh, lead us forward straight and not on the sideways. Dear Heavenly Father, where thou clearly are prophesying future and in not so distant future, dear Heavenly Father, we expect the only begotten Son and our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ will come in glory and come in power as a lion saving his chosen people. Dear Heavenly Father, even though we are coming through the dark times nowadays, thy uh, overcoming power will establish a peace forever. Thou will come as a king, and uh, those that pierced thee will recognize and mourn after you as uh, their own son, the only son, dear Heavenly Father. We ask thee for ourselves to be counted worthy through prayers and supplication and living a modest life and living a uh, life of faith that's given to the saints that we find ourselves worthy in that day when thou comest to judge the secrets of human's heart and to establish thy justice that's from above when thou comest to make an end to all these false gods that people respect and adore and worship that their names will not be mentioned evermore as it stands in these chapters that we just heard. That uh, thou name, thy name will stand forever and ever as the only true God that people should worship and obey. The Heavenly Father may we be ourselves in that chosen fold that thou put on thy right hand and uh, be our 
King and Savior and Lord forever. We Heavenly Father, we are mindful of all, all these brethren that are now in sickness, in uh, different uh, temptations and problems, uh, as you know. We ask for all of us, even though we are separated uh, and not close by in physical way, but uh, in spirit we are praying together to the this morning, afternoon hour, that thou be with us, bless all of us, give us a strength that we can continue our travel through this uh, valley of death and uh, be, as we said and prayed before, worthy enough to come to thy glory and thy kingdom that's prepared for the chosen people. Dear Heavenly Father, there are many prayers, applications and that we need to bring to thee and sometimes our prayer is very weak. We ask thee, with the, uh, dear Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Ghost to receive it as a, from the weak vessels and be with us and stay with us not only now but forevermore. Amen. Appreciate uh, Brother Zoran's prayer. Just wanna. I hope you don't mind if I share a few words about your testimony. Brother Zoran was in Yugoslavia, now Serbia. Raised in a secular, well, atheistic uh, school where any form of faith was considered to be unintelligent, backwards, um, and to be mocked with full force my, socially. But it was as he gained, drove his father to a church meeting and had a conversation about these very topics, about prophecy, that he, he realized that, that this word was not something that just talked about religious, you know, observances and abstract moral uh, commands, but that said specific things that we can verify objectively in, in, in our own time, that God has entered in time and space and is still working in our day and age in concrete, observable ways, and that this, is, this, this word is real, it's alive. Of course, it's not about just knowing what's going to happen next. But the word here in Zechariah told us it's about that fountain from the side that was pierced. And, and previously he talked about this image of, of exchanging our filthy robes and, and exchanging with the, the pure white ones of, of, the, of, of, God, of Jesus himself was what is happening. So it's not just about Ooh, I've got an inside story of what's happening next. It's about God's whole plan is here so that you can recognize that Jesus has entered in time and space, has sacrificed himself so that you can recognize the one that you have pierced through your own unbelief and that you can be cleansed in that fountain. 
I pray that that would be the experience of each and every one of us that we conclude this afternoon's service.